Well, if you were here last week, you know we started the sermon with 60 seconds of silence and solitude. So today, because we're starting about talk about Sabbath, we're going to start the message with 24 hours of Sabbath, okay? Are you ready? One, two, nah, it doesn't really work that way, does it, as we'll see. Um, but that might be of particular interest to you if you've been with us uh, for the last several weeks and we've been talking about these different levels of engagement, and one of those was to make the Sabbath a priority in this new year, keeping the Sabbath, building the Sabbath into your weekly rhythm. And so we are going to talk about it today as we continue our series titled The Pace of Grace. And uh, before we dive into that, I just want to say hi to all the, the Kids Way children. It's awesome to have you in here with us today on Generation Sunday, where we have basically Generation Alpha, Z, Y, or the Millennials, X, Boomers, and some Greatest Generation. We got a lot of people a lot of generations worshiping God together, and I think that's a big deal. And so we celebrate having you with us. Yeah, you can clap for that. It's a big deal. Uh, I think it is one of the things that makes Linwood unique is those generations and how we have various generations in leadership, and uh, we're really seeking to be a family of families throughout those generations. So I see you kids, and I'm glad that you are here I also want to welcome those joining us online. If you couldn't be here in person, thank you for making it a priority uh, to spend this time in worship and to spend this time connected to us. The subtitle of this series is Walking with Jesus in a World Addicted to Hurry. And we really do find that to be the case. Interestingly enough, I think kids maybe show us how to do this better than our peers if we're adults that kids know how to kind of walk with Jesus. And I've had to lament and repent for the number of times I told my kids to hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. It was always hurry up. And I just kind of grieve that a little bit and repent from that. And if we're five minutes late, it's not the end of the world. I know it feels like the end of the world. For some of those type A's like me, it's like I, the last thing I want to be is late. But it, the, the world will continue even in the midst of that. So we can learn some things from our kids, and we'll talk about uh, that a couple of times through today's message. Now, it is a progressive series, so if you've missed a week or two, it sort of builds upon itself. And so I'd really encourage you to go to our podcast, go to our YouTube page, Facebook page, especially if you hear something referenced that doesn't make sense. We've been building on this. To catch you up real quick, uh, week one, we talked about the problem of hurry and how the culture is addicted to hurry, and we have to intentionally separate from that. In fact, Dallas Willard said that the great enemy of spiritual life in our day is hurry. It's an enemy of our spiritual life with Christ. Then we talked about the solution. And the solution wasn't more time or better time management necessarily. It was more Jesus and more learning to live as Jesus would if he were you, watching the way he does it, walking with him. And so if you want to experience the life of Jesus, you have to adopt the lifestyle of Jesus, which really set the table for last week and these next three weeks as we look at what are some of the elements of the lifestyle of Jesus that we can actually incorporate into our lives today. So last week we looked at silence and solitude. We took those two and sort of smashed them into one because they really do go hand in hand. Solitude is so much better when it's quiet. And silence is so much better when we seek intentionally to cultivate silence and solitude with God in our busy lives. Our bottom line last week was that without solitude, it's virtually impossible to live a spiritual life. And uh, there are things that we do together. We come together on a Sunday morning into corporate worship, but there are things that we must do alone 
to really have the spiritual life that God wants us to have, the spiritual life that Christ modeled for us. And so today we're going to focus on Sabbath keeping as one of these key disciplines or practices. Sometimes people don't really like the word discipline. It sounds like punishment to them. And so last week I talked a little bit about what's different about a spiritual discipline or what are we talking about when we talk about key spiritual disciplines for unhurrying our lives. And uh, one of the big ideas behind that is that it's not about punishment, it's more about practicing. And so a discipline can be defined as an activity that I can do by direct effort that will eventually enable me to do that which currently I cannot do by direct effort, right? So it's, it's that thing that sort of gets us in the door. I want to be here, but I can't do that yet. And we talked about the importance of the word yet, that when we say yet, it creates a growth mindset. When we just say I can't, then we throw up our hands and we walk away or we pick something else in place of what God wants us to have. And so a discipline is something I can do now. It might involve some effort. But as I do that, it will eventually enable me to do something I can't do now. So uh, maybe a summary of that that I threw out there last week was do what you can until you can do what you couldn't. Do what you can now until you can do what you couldn't do before. That's the idea behind a discipline. And so there's physical disciplines, there's spiritual disciplines, there's emotional disciplines that we can build into our lives that help us to be healthier and stronger. And so instead of saying, I can't because, we say, I could if. And again, kids do this naturally. There's so many things that kids can't do yet just because of their size or their, their, their ability or their development. And there's age-appropriate limitations. And kids seem to embrace this better than maybe I do as an adult. I won't necessarily apply that to you. But kids seem to embrace this. And we can learn from kids and say, well, I can't do that yet, but I'm going to do what I can do. I can't do maybe what my big brother or my big sister does or what mom or dad does, but I can do what I can do. And they sort of seem to have a robustness about doing what they can do, playing a part. And so we can learn from them in that regard as well. It's important to think about when we talk about spiritual disciplines, that these are not commanded, with the one possible exception of the Sabbath, which we will talk about today. But you don't see Jesus going around in the Sermon on the Mount and saying, oh, by the way, make sure you do this and this and this. Make sure that you practice silence and solitude. Make sure that you do simplicity as part of your life or any of these other disciplines that we'll look at or disciplines that we haven't looked at. He simply did them and then said, follow me. So it's less about legalism, it's less about coercion and control, and more about an invitation and an example to follow. And so he said, as we talked about in week two, come, follow me, walk with me, watch how I do it, work with me, yoked to me, and you'll find rest for your soul. We'll learn to do things the way he did them, we'll learn to live the way he lived. And so, let's look at Sabbath within that context. We're actually going to look at it in three different Old Testament passages. We're going to get all historical here and go back to the very beginnings of Sabbath and then look at the commands of Sabbath, and then we'll see what Jesus had to say about Sabbath as we close. So if you want to turn in your Bibles all the way back to page 3, really easy page number to find today, right? You're just going to go to page 3. We're in Genesis chapter 2. And at the end of the first creation narrative that you see there in Genesis chapter 1, everything has been good, 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 very good. And then 
we get this introduction to the idea of rest. And so let's look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 through 3. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. Now, these are words that can be so familiar that we just sort of read over them. Oh, yeah, of course, he was done, so he quit. But he didn't have to quit. He chose to quit. He chose to stop. And when you see that word rested, both in verse 2 and verse 3, it's the Hebrew word Shabbat. And so that was what Hebrews would call the Sabbath, a Shabbat. We've sort of moved some of the letters around in the English transliteration of it, but it's the Sabbath. That's what it's talking about. And that word Shabbat means to cease. It means to rest. It means to stop, literally, just stop. And so we see God finishing his work. He didn't need to rest. He chose to rest. And I think that's an important insight. Maybe for some of you here today, if you're feeling like, I don't need to rest. Like, I'm not tired. I'm energized by my work. I like my work. And so I need to keep plowing ahead. Or I've got so much to do, I need to continue. And God is saying, no, I created a rhythm of life that involves rest. I created you in my image. And I chose to rest. So you can choose to rest as well. And really, whatever excuse we might come up with, whatever excuse I have come up with in my life, I have had to grapple with the fact that God chose to rest. And so if I'm not, I'm going against the order that he has created. I was made in his image without all the omnis, right? I'm not omnipotent. I'm not all-powerful. I'm not omnipresent. I'm not omniscient. I don't know everything. I'm not everywhere all the time. I'm made in the image of the God who is, but the God who is omni-everything chose to rest. He chose to stop. He could have continued forever, but he chose to stop, and he set an example for us. And he designed us and he designed the universe to function in this rhythm. And we see that from the very beginning pages of Scripture. But we don't just see that he rested. We see that in both verses. It mentions that he rested. But in verse 3, it also says that he blessed the Sabbath and made it holy. He blessed it and made it holy. He didn't just stop working. He also gave blessing and favor to this day, which is really fascinating. Comer points out in the book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, that God blesses three things in the creation narrative. When the animals are created, he blesses them, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And animals got busy being fruitful and multiplying. Then he creates humans. He blesses them. And the first command that God gives to his humankind, to those made in his image, is be fruitful and multiply. So twice he blesses animals and humans and he tells them to be fruitful and multiply. And then he blesses a day. And I think there's a a link that's made between the blessing that he conferred upon animals and humans and the life-giving nature of this day, this special day, this Sabbath day. He blesses it as well as the humans and the animals. And I think he's saying, if you'll keep it, it will add life to your life. This is how the universe was designed. And keeping the Sabbath adds life to our lives. An interesting example of this, some sociologists wanted to find out who were the happiest people 
on earth. And they designed a number of different markers to evaluate this sort of systematically. And one of the conclusions was that Seventh-day Adventists are one of the happiest groups of people based on these sociologists and the markers and the evidence that they gave for satisfaction and happiness. And what do Seventh-day Adventists do? Hint, it's in the name. They practice the Sabbath. They don't eat bacon, so I don't understand how that mixes with happiness because I love bacon. But they keep the Sabbath. And I also found that Seventh-day Adventists as a group live about 10 years longer than other groups of people. And so Comer got curious and did the math on if you lived X number of years and then you take a seventh of that and add to it, and it's about 10 years. And so it's like not only do they live longer, but they live happier for longer, and they live healthier. And there's a really good chance that it has something to do with that whole Sabbath-keeping thing, that that's one of the few things that differentiates them from all the other groups, that they seem to be happier than. And so we're told that God rested. We're told that he blessed the Sabbath, and we're also told that he made it holy. We're told that he made the Sabbath holy, which literally means set apart. And so you could say, well, of course it was set apart. It was different than the other six days because on the other six days he did work, but on this one he didn't. So it's unique in that regard. But it's set apart in another way in that it involves rest. It involves stopping. And so we're going to look at a couple of commandments, times when God commanded the people because it was so important and they weren't doing it by nature. He commanded them to do it. And so we're going to look at a couple of those. The first one comes in Exodus chapter 20. So if you're in one of our Bibles, that's going to be on page 118. And you can turn there and we're going to see how there's some strong similarities between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5, but there's some big differences between them as well. And there's 40 years that transpires between Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. And I think that's significant. So we're going to look at this and seek to understand what we can from it. And so I'm going to read a couple verses and then stop and read a verse and stop. And we're going to kind of walk through this first one. In Exodus chapter 20, God is giving the Ten Commandments. And I think we should remember that Sabbath wasn't just one of the 600 that got tucked into the law somewhere or added to it as a practice. Like it was one of the top ten. And you could even make a case that the average churchgoer in America does pretty well on 9 out of 10. We're not killing people. We're not lying to people. But many times we're not keeping the Sabbath. We're not doing what is commanded in regards to Sabbath. And so that's where we begin in Exodus 20, verse 8. God says to this people, you know, giving the, the Ten Commandments to Moses on Mount Sinai, he says, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. So the command is to remember it, to remember that it's blessed and it's holy and it has divine favor, which we just looked about in, in, in Genesis. And there's inferred in that a warning against forgetting, against neglecting the Sabbath, against abusing the Sabbath. Now, he's speaking to people who were born into and grew up in slavery in Egypt, where Pharaoh's idea for them was to reduce them to human machinery. Not 40-hour work week with some overtime and holiday pay, but 12 hours a day, sun up to sundown, seven days a week, 365 days a year, generation after generation after generation for 400 years. And so he's saying, remember, there's this special day 
And one of the commands, I love you so much that one of the commands that I'm going to give you is to stop that nonsense of working every single day and to take a day every seven for rest and for worship. Which is significant if you think about the fact that when, when, Jesus, or when Moses first goes to Pharaoh, remember what the request was? Let my people go out into the wilderness to worship. And then they'll come back. Pharaoh wouldn't have it. He wouldn't let him even go once. And so they end up with the full exodus of the people of God out of Egypt, out of slavery, into the land that he has promised them. And so it's a day to stop working. It's a reminder to rest and delight in our creator, to worship him. Now verse 9 says, Six days you shall labor and do all your work. Verse 10, But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And that language is unique. It's not just a, a Sabbath from doing certain things. It's a Sabbath to the Lord our God. This is where the worship and the devotion comes in, that we don't just stop from doing some things. We stop in order to do certain things for God, with God, with each other. We worship him. We attend to him. We rest in him and in his provision in our lives. And so it's not the same as a day off. A Sabbath is not the same as a day off. A day off is sort of like a cheap version of a Sabbath where we just stop doing the thing that we're paid to do and we do all the other stuff that we haven't had time to do all week. And I know that might be how you've treated the Sabbath. That's how I've treated my day off in the past. But in God's economy, we should really only be doing things that are restful and worshipful, things that fill us, things that bring life back to us. Now you're saying, well, that's great for you, Pastor Mark. I'm retired. <laughs> I remember hearing somebody describe retirement as six Saturdays and a Sunday. And I thought, well, that, that sounds pretty nice, right? Do that every week. I think that just underscores the importance of intentionality in your Sabbath keeping. And I know most of you that are retired, your life is not six Saturdays and a Sunday. But I wonder if there could be some intentionality in your Sabbath keeping. And if you are in a retired season of life where you have a lot of margin. Look around your life and ask yourself, is there someone in my life that I could help to Sabbath? I could take the kids for an afternoon. I could provide some resources so they don't have to pick up that shift every week and go seven days in a row. I could come alongside, and we do this fairly well within our own families, but could you branch outside that if you have the capacity and the resources and the time to do that? And look in our family of families, or look in our single and parenting class, and, and talk to Pastor Sandy and say, is there something that I could do to help somebody who can't find a way to Sabbath? I could come alongside and help them to Sabbath because of the intentionality. Now, personally, I'm still working on this part. And one of the conversations that we're going to have as a Sundstrom family here fairly soon is how can we make our Sabbaths more intentional? It's more challenging than it's been in the past. It used to just be my calendar that drove this. But as I was preparing this message, I realized, like, we've got multiple things, and this is good. It's a gift that God wants to give us. So how can we leverage it in our lives? And how can we protect it from being overwhelmed with errands and projects and distractions? that compete with Sabbath. I was having a conversation between services. Somebody was asking me about a point that I made, and I said the statement, if you don't schedule Sabbath into your life, life will schedule Sabbath out of your life, right? That there's intentionality on the scheduling. It's really important that we block out that time, and we say, this is special time. And I think our kids show us something unique on this as well. I was thinking about when I was a kid. I never found myself alone at school on a Saturday morning. 
Like I had been waiting for Saturday all week. I was excited for it. Nobody had to tell me, don't go to school today, Mark. And I didn't hate going to school. I enjoyed school for the most part. But I had plans for Saturday. There was great intentionality. I had maybe this new cereal picked out that was coming from the store, and I was going to eat cereal, and I was going to watch cartoons, and then I was going to connect with some friends and maybe play football out in the street or something like that. But I had my Saturday planned out because I was looking forward to it. And kids are really good at this in anticipating things and planning ahead and, and making plans. And maybe we could learn to treat the Sabbath the same way. Now, there's one more verse in this passage as we're looking at the Sabbath that's a really important verse. Because maybe you've noticed the other Ten Commandments, more space is given to the Sabbath than any of the other ten. And this next verse is a why behind the Sabbath, and none of the other ten have a why behind them. So this is really important to God. Not only that we would do it, but that we would understand why. And he tells us why in verse 11. He says, For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. He's reminding them of that creation narrative. He's reminding them that this was important, that this is no ordinary day. He gives them the why behind the Sabbath in its very familiar language. But I wonder if you noticed that not only is it the only of the Ten Commandments that gets a why, it's also the only spiritual discipline that is commanded in those Ten Commandments. Not Bible reading, not prayer, not church attendance. Sabbath is unique in that regard and that it finds its way into the Big Ten and it gets more airtime than the other nine. So Sabbath is really important to God and to his people. It's a gift that he wants to give us. So that's the first thing. We see Sabbath as rest and worship in Exodus chapter 20. Now, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, if you want to flip over there to page 282, and uh, looks like we've got fields or vineyard behind me, so we may not have scripture. You might want to grab one of our Bibles there in the seats in front of you and turn to page 282 to make sure you can read this. As I mentioned earlier, it was 40 years later, and it was an important 40 years because in Exodus 20, they had just come out of slavery. But then there was this unfaithful response to God's provision of the promised land, and an entire generation perishes. The generation that had grown up in slavery perished, and a new generation that had not known slavery is now who Moses is addressing as they prepare to go into the promised land. And so in verse 12, we see some differences already. In verse 12, it says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Did you catch the difference? In Exodus 20, it's remember the Sabbath by keeping it holy. Now it's observe the Sabbath. It's a totally different word. And a reminder that it has been commanded. Now that word observe literally means to keep, to keep watch over, to preserve or celebrate. And I really like that last one. To celebrate the Sabbath. Kind of like I was talking about. Like I celebrated Saturdays when I was a kid. I didn't have to go to school. I didn't have to get up and get dressed. I had some time on my hands. Now I can tell you and confess I wasn't rest and worship <laughs> necessarily. But I celebrated my Saturdays. I anticipated them. I looked forward to them. I preserved them. And so the Sabbath is really like a holiday every week. But without the stress and the family drama, right? Like... It's a, it's a gift to you. And I kind of put it into this terminology. It's like a birthday every week. And I chose birthday over Christmas or Easter or one of the other major holidays because it's meant to give life to us. It's meant to put life back into our lives. 
And so it's like a birthday every week. And I remember birthdays as a kid. Like I got to pick the menu for dinner that night, whatever I wanted. I got to pick what kind of cake I was going to have, vanilla or chocolate, frosted or cheesecake. I got really into cheesecakes for a while, so we did cheesecakes. But I got to pick. I got to choose. There was intentionality. I planned ahead. It was a gift to me. And I chose to make it special. And I have that same opportunity, that same invitation when God says to his people to observe the Sabbath, to preserve it, to celebrate it. And so it's not just what you won't do, it's also what you will do. And to be intentional about that, what can I do on my Sabbath as I carve out this time? How will I rest? How will I worship? What are the things that are most life-giving to me? Now, verse 13 and 14 are fairly similar to the Exodus passage. It says, The seventh day is a Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, your manservant, your maidservant, nor your ox, your donkey, or any of your animals, nor the alien within your gates, so that... Your manservant and maidservant may rest as you do. That last part is an addition. It's different than the Exodus. They didn't have manservants and maidservants back in Exodus. They had just come out of slavery. And he's saying, yes, you weren't born into slavery, this new generation that's going into the promised land, but he's making it really clear. This isn't just for you. This is for your manservant, your maidservant. This is for the alien that finds refuge within your borders. Don't you dare do to them what Pharaoh did to you. Humans are not machinery. Humans are not equipment. So not only is this Sabbath for you, it's also for them. And the whole idea with the ox and the donkey and the other animals, they didn't, they didn't, they, you couldn't program them to go do what needed to be done. Somebody had to do it with them. And so it was like, let the animals rest too. God takes this idea so far as the law gets fleshed out more and more. He says, let the land rest every seventh year. And you'll produce more in the other six than you do in seven if you'll let the land rest every seventh year. It goes so far as to say, Every cycle of seven sevens on the 49th year, let all the slaves go free. There's no more manservants, maidservants. And God designed it to work this way, and the people did not follow it from what we can tell. Now, verse 15 is very different. It's a different why behind the command. Now, 40 years later, verse 15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe, to celebrate the Sabbath day. So where the Exodus 20 command is grounded in the creation narrative, in the rhythms of life, in the emotional and spiritual things that lead to life and health, we need this. Deuteronomy 5 is grounded in the Exodus story, in the Exodus experience, in the new identity. You are the people of God. This is how you are to live. This is a command that you would celebrate this, that you would open the gift and enjoy it. And that's unique about God. I don't see this in other, in other deities, in other world religions. This is the God who said, you know what? We're also going to have festivals where you take a whole week and you just party. Thou shalt party. And the Sabbath is like a weekly invitation to rest, to celebrate. And that's where we come up with this idea in Deuteronomy 5 as the Sabbath as resistance. It's a resistance from the slavery idea. It's a, dis, it's a resistance from overproduction and overconsumption. It's a resistance from the way that Pharaoh did it, the way the world does it. And it's an invitation to do it God's way. A resistance that says enough is enough. And just 
says, I can be content with what is produced in six days. And I hate to belabor the Chick-fil-A point, but there's not a lot of other examples, unfortunately. And Chick-fil-A is a big part of our lives because we've got two kids working at Chick-fil-A now. And Chick-fil-A is unique in that it is a nationwide fast food chain that closes one day every week and intentionally keeps the Sabbath and gives that time to their employees. And it's unique in another way in that all the other fast food chains are open seven days a week. And the average fast food location in America turns out about a million five, million six in revenue per location. Chick-fil-A closes on Sunday, and the average Chick-fil-A turns out about eight and a half million dollars per location, five or six times as much. And there's other reasons for that, I'm sure, but I know one of them has to be that their workforce is satisfied and they're always excited. I even shared this morning on my Facebook, like, treat the world, treat others the way Chick-fil-A treats you, and you're going to be very popular. People will like you. They will enjoy being treated well. And so you, you see this as an example for us today of sort of a resistance and to say, you know what, whatever we can get in six days, that's going to be enough for us. And it turns out to be about five times as much. So John Mark Comer says in the Ruthless Elimination Hurry that Sabbath can be sort of like a governor on the speed of life. Have you ever driven a car with a governor? It's this idea that the manufacturer or the company that owns it can say nobody in this car is going to go over 65. And so if you get to 65, the engine cuts off. You don't have any more acceleration until you coast back down to 65, and then you can, you can go again. And, and a Sabbath is kind of like that. It's kind of like a governor on the speed of life. It says you don't need to go any faster than this. And if you do, you do so at your own peril. And so it's a governor on the speed of life. It slows us down, and it sort of accentuates this quote from Walter Brueggemann, who's a famous theologian. He has parsed out Scripture and applied Scripture theologically for decades. And he said, people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's not just that the Sabbath is different. It's that all the days are different than when we didn't keep the Sabbath, when we weren't intentional about it. Because it adds life to our whole life, not just to that one day. Because now we're coming in alignment with the God of the universe and the way that he created things to be. So people who keep the Sabbath live all seven days differently. And that was almost the bottom line. But then I realized, no, there's actually a better bottom line. That's, that's an important point, and I hope you wrote it down or took a picture, if there's even a screen behind me. Because not keeping the Sabbath is usually going to be missing out on the best day of the week. Like we were created to worship God, not because he had this super ego that we needed, needed to have a bunch of people worshiping him, but because we were created to worship. He says, stop doing all that other stuff and worship me. It's what you were created to do. It's a gift that he wants us to have. And it's a gift that is left unopened far too often. In fact, it's a gift that's so good that it can make the other six better. And so our bottom line today is actually, and maybe you noticed I was quoting people with bottom lines in this series. And I wanted to quote Jesus for you. Here's what Jesus said about the Sabbath. He said, man was not made for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man. It was a gift. It was made for you. It was made for me. And ironically, in Jesus' day, and the reason that Sabbath was such a big deal was that they had turned the Sabbath into work. They had turned it into this obligation. They had made it an end in itself, not a means to an end, not a means to deeper fellowship with God, not a means to more life in your life, but 
an end in itself to the point that people would accuse Jesus of heresy for healing someone on the Sabbath. And that's when he says, one of these times that they're calling him on the carpet for breaking the Sabbath, they'd had the audacity to pluck a few grains off of a head of wheat and roll it in their hands. And they say, oh, that's work. You're harvesting. You can't do that. He says, you got it all wrong. The Sabbath is made for man. It's made for you. It's a gift. Imagine fashioning a gift for somebody and giving it to them, say for Christmas, and then you come and visit at the end of January and you find it's still in the box. They put the tree away, but they never opened the gift. You're like, oh, I made something for you. Why didn't you want it? I think that's maybe the way God feels sometimes about today in our culture where we break the Sabbath so many times in so many ways. And so this is not to add one more thing to do on your to-do list. Oh, gosh. Now I've got to keep the Sabbath, too. No. God has a gift that he wants you to have. And, and so I would encourage you to start somewhere. If, if Sabbath seems sort of unfathomable to you, start somewhere. Run from nothing to something. Take an hour. Say, okay. I don't see how I could possibly do 24 hours. I don't see how I could do a sun up to sundown, but I will schedule an hour and I will choose to only rest and worship for that one hour. And then when you do that a couple times, maybe you could stretch it to two hours or to a morning or an afternoon or an evening where you're very intentional and very focused on rest and worship and the things that bring you peace. And then you could do something very important, very powerful and profound. You could schedule it as a recurring thing on your calendar. Two hours, four hours, an afternoon, an evening, a day. This has been the most important thing for me to begin really keeping the Sabbath is that I schedule it. Because if you don't schedule it into your calendar, life will schedule it out of your calendar. And once it's on your calendar, if something comes up, you can reschedule it. Again, we're not being legalistic. The importance is not sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. The importance is a 24-hour period of time that God wants to give you to engage in rest and worship intentionally. And so if you schedule it and something comes up, you can reschedule it. You can have compassion for the way life will come against you if you make this a priority. I guarantee you, things will happen. But just have some grace for yourself and some compassion for the way life works and reschedule it where you need to. Or understand, this is still a really good thing. I'm committed to it. I'm going to keep working towards it. And then maybe, eventually, it's 24 hours. And you find so much life in the other six days that, oh, who do I know that I could help experience some Sabbath? Start somewhere. Run from nothing. Do something. Schedule it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks. Thanks for this gift that you really want us to have. So much that you commanded us to do it. And it's not that we were made for the Sabbath, Lord. The Sabbath was made for us. It's a gift that you want us to have. Forgive us for neglecting it, for forgetting it, for treating it as an obligation or an end in itself. Help us to remember that you want us to have this. You want us to experience this. You want us to rest, to worship, to experience fellowship. Show us how we can do that, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.